Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tates Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. Our New Testament reading comes to us from Romans chapter 8, once again this week, this time verses 23 through 25. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The word of the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would uh, add your anointing to this sermon. We pray for the power of the Spirit to be at work, doing what only you, Holy Spirit, can do. We trust you with that every week and again this week. Make these words come alive into living words that point us to the living word, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we're in uh, week two of a three-part series on the three groanings of Romans 8. Last week we looked at the groaning of God's creation, and now this week we are looking at the groaning of God's children. There is a really important lesson uh, for American Christians to learn during this time of uh, difficulty and suffering. A lesson I honestly hope we never forget if things ever get back to normal, and who knows, maybe they won't. And here's the lesson. What we are experiencing right now is the normative experience of God's people. What What we have enjoyed over the past two centuries of this culture's history is not normal for Christians. Now, an important caveat, uh, especially right now in this hour, is that some Christians in American history did have the normal Christian life. Most notably, as we have been rightly reminded, Um, most notably our black brothers and sisters who suffered through slavery, Jim Crow, and continuing lingering effects. Their experience is what Christians are used to experience, to experiencing, historically speaking. And so you, as you feel the, um, the instability of our time, as you feel the culture that has always been comfortable suddenly become very uncomfortable and 
um, perhaps may never go back to comfort, at least for conservative American Christians. As you feel our values and our worldview rejected, as you feel our coming exile, as you feel our foundational Christian principles threatened, and no, I'm not talking about our misguided historical practices on race. Don't equate it with that. I'm talking about things like freedom to express our religion. I'm talking about um, the influence and significance of the church, its worldview and ethic. As you feel these slip away, just know that what you feel is what most Christians have always felt. Simply put, we have always been a groaning people. I said last week that the entire creation is groaning, and this is true, everyone in our world has to face the groanings of creation. But there is a unique growing, groaning that God's people feel. A compounded groaning, so to speak. The fallacy that American uh, Christianity has sold the world, that to follow Jesus is to make your life easier, not harder, that fallacy is coming undone before our eyes. He likens his following to a cross for a reason. Everyone's life is hard, but the Christian life is really hard. And this week, we are going to look at that groaning, the groaning specific to the children of God. And to do that, I want us to consider three things. The source of our groaning, the struggle of our groaning, and the demand of our groaning. Let's start with the source. So last week, verse 22, the creation is groaning. And then now in verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly. So his point is a simple one. Christians are not exempt from the suffering of creation. In fact, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit have a unique groaning. Now, what is that? Uh, this can be answered in many ways. For example, uh, Christians are guaranteed by Jesus that we will be hated by the world, and this has proven true throughout the centuries. Um, Christians have the Holy Spirit's conviction and sanctification, and that's not easy. That's a unique suffering. It is a lot easier to do what I want to do um, versus telling myself no to do what Jesus wants me to do. Christians at times have to forsake family and friends for Jesus. That's not easy. Christians have to love their enemies. We have to bless those who persecute us. That's not easy. There are, there are many unique sufferings to the cruciform path that is following Jesus. But Paul, Paul is highlighting a groaning here that doesn't get enough attention. He says, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit... Now, what he's talking about there is that we have tasted the first fruits of our God, but this has left us pining after more. Now, this, this is worth it in the end because we will get the fullness, but we fail to appreciate just how difficult the waiting is once our taste buds for God and His kingdom have been awakened. It's like being 
starving, just utterly famished, and someone gives you just a taste of the meal, and this awakens your uh, suppressed hunger and leaves you so desperate for more, and then you are told, but you're going to have to wait for the meal. That's not easy. In many ways, this is the Christian experience. We uniquely know how good it could, should, and will be. We know what's coming, and yet we have to wait. We have tasted God's love, and yet we await its fullness. We have tasted God's peace, and yet we await its fullness. We have tasted God's healing, His presence, His delight, His glory. We have tasted the first fruits of God and His promises, and yet now we are asked to wait for the fullness. And the way Paul describes what we wait for gives us a helpful picture of how difficult this is. Continue on. As we eagerly wait our adoptions as sons. Now what's interesting about this is that Paul has already stated that we are adopted. We have been adopted by God. And this is true. Well, if we have been adopted, then why are we awaiting our adoption as sons and daughters? Well, think of it like this. Those familiar with adoption, there are, there are many in our congregation, uh, particularly um, international adoption, understand this tension. The adoption is approved. This is your child. You rejoice. You love your child. But then there is this painful in-between, this waiting for the processes to go through and your child to actually come home where that child belongs. This is the picture of the Christian hope. We have been adopted. It is, a, it is official, blood bought and sealed, paid for. We belong to God and nothing is going to change that. And yet we wait to come home. Groaning in this orphanage of tears as sojourns, eagerly awaiting the fullness of our adoption to be home with our heavenly Father. Now, what's interesting, and, I, and again, I think this goes back to our experience in comfortable um, American Christianity. What's interesting is that in many ways I have noticed in my life and in others, this groan um, to be deadened by the comforts of American prosperity. Life can be good here, really good. The best the world has to offer. And so good that in times past, I wonder if we even really want Jesus to come back. If He were to come back in those calm days of prosperity, I wonder if that's something in the past that we have even wanted. And that's why I'm saying we need to learn from this moment. Because don't you want this to be over now? And I'm not talking about in an unhealthy way, like you, like you want to die. I'm talking in a healthy way, like enough is enough. <laughs> Jesus, come fix this world. End disease, end disease, heal the abused, raise the dead, um, reconcile the nations, bring your shalom. I think we're at a place where we can honestly say, look, you can have the fleeting pleasures and comforts of this world. Give me Jesus. Give me heaven, and most of all, my heavenly Father. I want you to know 
that that yearning is normal and it is good. It is the groaning that Paul is speaking of here in Romans 8. But though it is good, it is still a struggle. Which leads me to my next point, the struggle of our groaning. Verse 24, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? Here's his point. Of course you don't hope for something that is currently a reality because that's not hope. That's called experience. If you can see it, you are experiencing it. And hope and experience are not the same. The very nature of hope demands the unseen. So if it were seen, then it would not be hope. In fact, hope of any kind demands trust in the unseen and the unknown. For example, if you say that this is all there is, there is nothing after death, well, that's your hope. And your hope is unseen as well. But it goes deeper than that. And this is a little complicated, but stay with me here. Paul says, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? This does not just show us that hope is unseen, but it shows us that hope is very real, which is what makes hope so difficult. The very desire for something is evidence that something exists. Hunger necessarily assumes there is food. Thirst necessarily assumes that there is water. The two must exist together. You cannot have one without the other. We would not be thirsty unless water first existed. And this is the nature of true hope. The secular naturalistic view says that we have invented things like hope and love and purpose and justice and so forth as a way to get along and further advance. But philosophically speaking, this cannot be, nor do we live as, this is, as though this is so. We would never hope unless there was an answer to hope. We would never long for love unless love is available and obtainable. We would never long for justice unless justice is real, that it can be achieved. These things are deep realities in our soul that we know are true, and that's why we hunger after them. And so in many ways, these unseen things that we long for are a struggle for everyone. Hope is a struggle for everyone. Love is a struggle for everyone. Everyone struggles with it. But again, coming back to our source of groaning, they are a different kind of struggle for those who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Because we are not struggling for an answer to these things. No, no, no. We know the answer and we are groaning for that answer to be revealed. Jesus is love. Come, Lord Jesus, bring love. Jesus is just. Come, Lord Jesus, bring your justice. Jesus is our peace. Come, Lord Jesus, bring shalom. And so the groaning of God's children is not a groaning of searching. It is a groaning of patience. And that's the struggle. Where are you, God? How long, O oh Lord? Come, Lord Jesus. Go read the lyrics of Negro spirituals. That would be a great practice to do in this, um, this current cultural moment. Go read the lyrics of these songs 
And essentially what you will find is song after song of this type of groaning. And again, that is more normative to the people of God. The search for hope is over. We found it in our Jesus, but we have to wait. And that's not easy. Which leads me to my final point, the demand of our groaning. Verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So now we come to application and Paul has one simple demand to us who groan, patience. Christians groan. No doubt this is true, but Christians are called to groan with patience. And for us who inhabit an age of instant results and gratification, patience is as difficult for us as discomfort. But it is God's expectation nonetheless. You see, impatience is a protest against our God, against His plan, His sovereignty, His goodness, dare I say, His very existence. Impatience is rooted in that foundational lie of the fall that we know better than our God. That's why we are impatient, because we think we know better than Him. And conversely, patience is an affirmation, a commending of God, proclaiming that we know God is faithful. So we wait with patience. And this, I suspect, is why God tarries with His fulfillment. This is why He is not on our timetable. Again and again throughout redemption, the refrain is the same, wait upon the Lord. But again, we in particular, we hate the wait. In fact, so much of our life is an attempt to subvert, to avoid the wait. We numb out the wait with our many distractions, just filling our days with triviality so that we forget that we are actually within a story that is heading somewhere. We undermine the weight by lowering our expectations of, good, of God's goodness. In other words, we turn our visions of heaven into wealth, fame, beauty, pleasure, and so forth in order that fulfillment becomes something that we can self-produce and we don't have to wait for. We protest the weight by our lingering um, anger, frustration, discontentment, which erupts when things inevitably don't go our way according to our plans. We give up on the weight by giving in to despondency and pessimism and self-pity. There's no hope. What's the use? God's promises are too good to be true. At least they are for me. That sort of thing. Brothers and sisters, we must resist the ever-present temptation to avoid and escape the weight and actually embrace the virtue of patience. Perhaps even consider that the wait is good for you. I wonder if he makes us wait because the wait is supposed to do something to us. Perhaps the wait is a tool of his sanctification. I wonder if the wait is intended to train us in the ways of dependence. I wonder if the wait is intended, is intended to give us that all-elusive virtue that's so hard to find this thing called humility. I wonder if the wait is intended to convince us that we're not in control, that providence does not follow our agenda. Perhaps the wait is showing us that we are not God. 
Perhaps the wait is teaching us to be human once again. So the application is as frustrating as it is simple. Patience. Patience, Christian. We patiently and faithfully wait for our groanings to be answered. But make no mistake, God will answer our groanings. After all, has He ever failed to do so? Genesis 3, God promises the seed of the woman will crush evil. And the wait began. God comes to Abraham and promises that the seed will come from his lineage and then makes him wait. God comes to Moses and promises that he will uh, deliver his people from slavery and into his land of promise, and they have to wait. God comes to David and promises that from him will come a king of kings with an everlasting kingdom, and Israel has to wait. God comes to His people in exile and promises that He will deliver them out of exile and they will return to their land, and yet they wait. And then for hundreds of years, God's people wait in uncertainty and silence. And then the seed arrives, the promise arrives, the king arrives, he accomplishes everything that God promises, and then He ascends to heaven and says, it's time to wait again. That's where we are. But what I want you to know is that's where God's people have always been, waiting patiently upon the Lord. But what we need to know is that God has never failed to reward the patience of His people. He has never failed to deliver. Friends, we've come so far. We have come so far. The wait is literally almost over from a redemptive perspective. The groanings are about to cease. Scripture calls our days the last days. There is one more wait to go. Hold fast. I know it's difficult. I know the world is a, is a tough place. I know we are groaning. Hold fast. One more wait. He did not bring us this far only to bring us this far. Be patient. Wait upon the Lord who always comes and is sure to come again. Let me pray. Teach us to wait, O oh God because you have always been faithful. We admit that we are groaning. We admit that it's a struggle. We admit that patience is so difficult, but, but ground us in the truth, ground us in promise, ground us in faithfulness that we can endure these days and as many days as you ask us to endure. We can, we can groan, but we can groan with patience. And we just ask, come Lord Jesus, Fix the world. This is our hope, but we will wait and we will be patient for your answer. In Jesus' name, amen.